person called Jody Brown, some kind of left architecture person, mm-hmm. um, says, asked, what animal is the most modernist? <laughs> it's kind of a neat little... It's a cute question. It's a cute little yeah. Twitter game. Yeah. yeah. And basically, like, the first thing that came to my mind was the giraffe. Okay. That would have been counterintuitive to me. Yeah, exactly. The, I, I've only kind of realized how counterintuitive and radically different from other responses that was. Yeah. Basically today as I was checking it, as I just like ran, in, ran into it. What are other people saying? Everyone is going like, like that, that person's response is black cat. Okay. Black cats are the most modernist of animals, wearing black, aloof, laying by large windows, doesn't care about you. The large windows thing is, is a nice... Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> wearing black. It's kind of a beatnik thing. Or the stereotype about architects that they wear black. They also mention raccoons. Okay. Black and white, up all night, eats garbage. They're gray. Someone, I'd say the raccoon would be a good kind of uh, grays, something for the grays, for like Venturi. Right, and right, exactly. I agree. Loves, yeah. loves trash. But that's not modernist <laughs> at all in my brain. No. Um, Josh Mings, nice brutalism guy. Freaking zebras. Zebras, yeah. But then the, the OP says... Is that Lowe's uh, building? That's kind of postmodernist, the... though. It's really just a decorative donkey, which is a kind of a correct, right. good reply as well. What was that Lowe's... Uh... Josephine Baker House by Lowe's, the, mm. the black and white stripe. Right. Sloths, walrus is Mrs. in a row, Richard Meyer mm. penguins. Okay. But Richard Meyer is not modernist. No. Capybara, Marianella says. Nice pick. Capybara is nice. Something white. White wolf. Drawings of... Any, anyway, whatever. Anyway. Everyone is going basically with kind of the minimal aesthetic yeah and like that's not what mo- like, u.s americans think of modernism as like a decorative style that kind of blurs into minimalism mm-hmm. right like in in the u.s in u.s america modernism is Miss van der Rohe, uh like glass office towers and fancy lofts fancy uh, penthouses yeah it's also probably uh, Corb Villas as reinterpreted by neo-avant-garde right. Americans in the 60s. Right, right, right. They're white. Yeah. And shapey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and aloof. Yeah, for me, and I think this is much more common in continental Europe than in Angloland and especially in US America. Mm-hmm. Like the first thing that comes to my mind when modern when someone says modernism is like continuity of public space. It's like a, a system, an attempt to the system of like rationalizing the city and doing kind of systemic planning so and the like, giraffe is yeah, like the giraffe uh, is the only animal a person can walk underneath of their body <laughs> it has pility and the free f- ground floor you know like yeah. it's the immediate it's like it's tall right um it has it, it, it's, it's designed to eat the trees the 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 leaves in the trees uh so it's tallness and you see them between trees the way you see them between trees yeah. exactly moving about like uh, the tall things in between the trees mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. they they're, the point is to get the leaves at the top which like yep. you're supposed to have a, a garden on the terrace right mm-hmm. garden mm-hmm. terrace and a, a free ground floor like it's like the immediate thing in my brain <laughs> is a kind of an organizational logic 
that yeah, I think the pattern, the pattern on a giraffe would kind of disqualify it. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Size, yeah. When I read the the when yeah, I read yeah. it now, is like yeah. yeah, pattern colors right. and shit, and that no, it's not going to be perceived as modernist within that purely like. I, I'm surprised that no one said crow for Corb. Right. Corbusier. Maybe they did. Crow. Uh, they didn't go through the whole thing. I also think like maybe a dolphin, streamlined. Mm. It's got that like uh, seafaring aesthetic. Right. Dolphins are also playful and sociable. I mean, obviously the the, the original poster that thinks modernism is bad. Ah. Right? Like the, the original Yeah, it doesn't care about you. Aloof, doesn't care about you. Right. Well, I mean, in the t- if they're all thinking basically Richard Meyer, then yeah, modernism is bad. Yeah, that's just uh, not absolutely. what modernism was. Yes. <laughs> I also think like my my first thoughts were something industrious uh, and in large numbers, like ants or bees. Right. Right. Organized. Right. Complex. Right. Uh, a problem of planning and systematization. Mm-hmm. Organization of labor. Organization of labor and production. Yeah, mass modernism associated with mass production, therefore yeah. ants and bees, correct? And yes. like a problem of the big number, like a, a large yeah, yeah, colony yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. has an urban dimension, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever. Which you would think like pe- people with a kind of postmodern anti-modernist slant would also kind of accept yeah. because it has a kind of anti-dehumanizing de- yeah, yeah. Ten- like vibe ants to it. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, for me, it's giraffes. Sorry. <laughs> I stick I to like I I'm st- I stick to mine. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> but it's a really really nice example through a little thing of like how Euro continental Europeans, I guess especially mostly like maybe Mediterraneans, more than probably uh, like their conception of modernism differs from specifically I think mostly U.S. Americans. Yeah, there's no Piloti in Canada. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Someone else also said giraffe. <laughs> Piloti like to. F- the ground plane it's the roof garden exactly <laughs> <laughs> are you european Welcome to Street Sweeper. My name is Will. Welcome. I'm Ricardo. Today, well, in the last couple episodes, last time we went through some pretty heavy kind of political theory mm-hmm. uh, dealing with the welfare state, how to understand it politically and architecturally. Right. Uh, we've also covered some fairly academic debates in the yeah. past. Apart from the past last episode, which was making fun of the architecture of the king, um, even though... Like even there, we managed to make it like more like trashing new avant-garde positions in the in the, in yeah. the measure that actually they have a lot in common with career, right? Yeah, it's our hobby horse basically <laughs> is, is uh, trashing new avant-garde bullshit. <laughs> but I mean, at, at least that episode was not so kind of totally like theoretical political theory, academic, yeah. blah blah blah. Like yeah. we've bo- mostly been focusing on yeah. uh, this kind of stuff that dominates discourse in academia right and that's a problem because like to all in all the measures of academia is pretty bad mm-hmm. it's not as bad as what's going on in the actual real like industry it's not as bad or it's worse because it's at least not real <laughs> right the fact that it's not real 
makes it less important. Yeah, the, the reason we don't like and it is because it's, it's bad, constantly yeah. trying to come up with the next excuse. Yeah. But at least it's not an excuse that's being used now. Right, right, right. They're just trying to, like, throw in clay at the wall, seeing what sticks yeah. to the Monopoly capital yeah. wall. Yeah, we're doing, like, long-term preventative work on, on right. ideology right. rather than dealing right. with the current uh, yeah, yeah. struggle. Yeah, but the current affairs are important. And so, basically, we've decided that we should do an episode dedicated to, like, what is the discourse going ar- around right now? Not in neo-avant-garde, yeah. Future-looking academia, yeah, yeah. but on in in the corporate practice as we speak. Yeah, in urban development. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. So we're looking at uh, what's happening or not happening in people's backyards. Yeah, like one of the, <laughs> one of the uh, I think like we decided a good articulator of all of the different discourses and debates around what's happening in actual. In the actual industry, is the debate between yimbies and nimbies, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the nimby and nimby position. That is obviously kind of a U.S. American-based thing. Yeah, I'm sure it came out of. Uh, but it's now reaching the UK, uh-huh. and it's really annoying. Yeah, this is something that was pretty new to you. Uh, I'd never heard of yimbies and nimbies until like two years ago. Right, I definitely heard of. I mean, I long heard of nimbies, but the yimby thing more recently. Yeah, it's, it definitely comes out of North America. Right. Uh, and the terms of the debate are obviously determined by by that. You yeah. see, I, and yeah. that, this is why it's so irritating. I mean, it's probably, <laughs> it, it's pretty bad also in US America, I think, uh-huh. the, that framework of the problem. But the way in which it is ob- obviously abusively applied, even in the UK, which is of all the countries in the world, the most similar to the United States, <laughs> apart from Poland or Canada. Or Australia, maybe? Or, I don't know. Uh, uh, the fact that like the way in which it just doesn't work in the UK at all and yet it's still like enforced and projected onto it and it's so yeah. fucking annoying um, yeah so for those who don't I mean I, you, you are more familiar with this framework than me because like you, you yeah you, you were taught yeah, it I, I was never really taught it per se but it's uh, it's around in a, in a more obvious way in Canada right right yeah I mean, I always found it intensely boring. <laughs> it uh, is. Because it's a, it's a, I mean, it, I don't want to step on our analysis too much. It just always seemed like a false choice. Right. Uh, but it's like the problem is who has yards? Right. What is Obviously. it that's going where? It's not like, like, I mean, it's cast as an abstract. Is it good to build stuff or bad to build stuff? Right. 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 And it and it happens in this. It's it's the usual framing of these kinds of questions in kind of technocratic yeah. terms with different you know neoliberal economic yeah. arguments being played from yeah. either side, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. And and that I was that was always uh, irritating. And, yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean the the obvious underlying issue is that both sides are making an argument, assuming as an axiom, market driven yeah, destruction. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Anyway, you want to like summarize what Yimbi and Nimbi means, even for like not all of our listeners are sure, yeah. Anglo's, or and certainly not Anglo. I, I'm sure that there are a lot of people in the UK never who don't know what that means. Yeah, so Nimbi stands for "Not in My Backyard." Um, it's an acronym, a phrase that had probably been used earlier. Uh, in the mid 20th century, particularly around kind of environmental concerns with land use. So like don't put a toxic waste dump in my backyard 
or an electrical power station in my backyard. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it kind of, in the 80s, I think, moved into more discussions around housing um, and development. And really in the 80s became a popularly known and used term from, from then on. Yimby, which obviously means yes in my backyard. I uh, thought it would meant yippee, I'd like to fuck. <laughs> uh, I developed later as a response, I think probably only in the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years. Um, and it's... It's used positively. So NIMBY is sort of used pejoratively. It's like those uh, conservative curmudgeons who refuse to let anything be built. Um, You picture like a fairly affluent suburban homeowner who doesn't want, you know, a new bus lane going through their neighborhood or doesn't want a new housing block built or homeless shelter or they just want to keep their conservative suburb as it is and their property values as uh, they are. Uh, like an ending automobile-based yeah, houses, American suburbs, suburbs yeah, in yeah. American cities, like everyone watches on American TV shows, yeah. Desperate Housewives. So frustrated architects and planners would refer to them as NIMBYs, mm-hmm. like they're just recalcitrant. They refuse to accept progress and, and development and everything like that. YIMBY uh, has a positive connotation by the people who, it's the same people who use both of them, yeah, I think, in yeah, this context. Yeah, yeah. And they're... Uh, they support building and planning. They think that, uh, and it, it's really developed, I think, as a narrative around the housing crisis, uh, housing shortages. Mm-hmm. Um, so they see more building as the solution right. to the housing crisis. There's not enough housing, build more housing. Increase the Let, supply yeah. to meet the demand yeah. and problem solved. Yeah. And it's a little bit ambiguous. It has like a progressive connotation, uh, maybe even like a left mm-hmm connotation but it's also kind of libertarian maybe in some ways Mm. although i imagine you could have libertarians on the like don't build that uh government project on my homestead like you could have libertarian nimbies because they jealously guard their backyard with a ar-15 right um but yeah it doesn't it doesn't cut across straightforward political lines so i think there's like two discussions we need to have. And both of them are about a kind of a, a shift in the meaning of these terms and the political associations of these terms that's been happening lately. Okay. It is probably a post-2008 effect. Mm-hmm. And mostly, it seems to me, a kind of a radicalization of the politics involved, of, of the possible politics involved with these issues uh, post-2016. So okay. 2015, it's like the usual period, right? Right. Um, so it's this, it's the kind of depoliticized debate that I described encountering these new intensified political yes, conditions. Exactly. That's exactly, that's a good right. way of framing it. And I think that it's mostly in the YIMBY position that you see uh, a transformation. Hmm. Although, I mean, as you said, the, the people who use NIMBY also use YIMBY. There is a kind of an agreed framework, and usual, usually the term is used by YIMBYs. NIMBYs mm-hmm. don't call themselves NIMBYs necessarily. The, I mean, there's probably some like Trumpy yeah. characters going about that do now. But it's in the initial. <laughs> <laughs> NIMBY and proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
make America great again, but not in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Keep my backyard great. Yes. Um, the um, and we essentially see two different positions that are kind of sort of politicized, okay. or at least yeah, a product of these technocratic discourse meeting politics. Uh, which are evolutions from the Yimby position. One of them is the way in which it appears in the UK that makes me very irritated and makes me kind of think that this might be a good episode, mm -hmm. uh, which is um, bringing the term NIMBY as a, a, an argument against those who are fighting to stop the demolition of public housing for redevelopment into upper middle class private sector housing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, like usually working class communities, typically black working class communities fighting to preserve their homes and not be like basically have their communities destroyed and their yeah. territory be colonized by white rich people. Right. They're the NIMBYs. They're now the NIMBYs rather yes. than conservative old white homeowners. Yes, yeah. in segregated uh, white supremacist uh, suburbs. Right. Um, it's a typical, like it's, it's yeah. a perfect shift in the contemporary like post 2015 2016 environment obviously yeah the neoliberals are now the progressives yeah and ma managed to frame the working class as the reactionaries right um so that's one um that's pretty that's pretty shocking and it's an obvious <laughs> but it, not surprising yes and it's an obvious also kind of projection of usa frameworks onto a non-USA reality. Yeah. It's still like you apply that framework here and it's just like completely broken. So that's one. I, and, and, and you've seen these kind of versions of this also the, in the US. I've seen examples of this, like uh, some like Indian American community uh, fighting to stop like, I don't know if it was a pipeline or some fracking shit on their territory were called NIMBYs. <laughs> <laughs> It's not something that's, you know, it's fucking crazy. I mean, that sort of goes back to the early usage of NIMBY that I mentioned, which was uh, as an environmental protection question. Right. Where it was kind of acknowledged that the people who are resistant are in the right. And right. it's just it's just public right. uh, backlash from trying to do something right. unpleasant right. in their area. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first. Yeah, that's, that's the, the first, first shift in how. Yeah, in how the works. second shift is exactly the other way around. Okay, it's a kind of a left Yimbyism emerging. Mm -hmm. um, I ran into even like an article basically exploring this issue of how there's a like the, the, an art, an article in Jacobin is an interview with a guy called Daryl Owens, mm -hmm. um, who is talking about how. Like, the Yimbyism is the Yimby position is becoming more left wing. Hmm. Like parts of the Yimby movement are moving left. Is the title of the interview? Okay. Um, so, uh, interviewed by Galen Hertz, Daryl Owens is specifically talking about a reality mostly in California, uh -huh. uh, and focuses on a uh, DSA member. Um, assembly member in California's assembly called Alex Lee, mm -hmm. proud, proud socialist and a proud Yimby. And it's talking about a kind of a shifting ideological composition of the Yimby movement in California, which is increasingly left-wing. And le being left-wing Yimby means essentially, if I understand correctly, 
um, being for unblocking uh, market rate private development uh, in the ways that it is blocked through basically racialized segregatory uh, urban planning regulation in okay. In, in California, but also at the same time, recognizing that the private sector will not solve the problem of housing supply and you need to uh, push public sector investment in housing. Okay. And they argue, it seems, for a kind of an alliance of interests between... Private developers and... Private developers and public authorities. And uh, if we're talking about like the base, the social base of this would be like the downwardly mobile uh, middle classes, like next generation middle classes that go for like, that needs cheaper rent right. and the working classes that need public housing, right? Mm. So it's a kind of a class alliance at that level. Mm. And that's how it sort of makes sense in my brain, this kind of left EMU position. I would have thought that this kind of public-private partnership would have always been part of the UMB position as it's a fairly mainstream. Like the way that normally describe... manifests in a development is the developer gets to move ahead as long as they do a certain number of units at uh, you know a fraction of market rate or for social rent. Yeah. Fraction being like three quarters usually. 80%. Or 80%, in, in yeah. And then inevitably the developer is able to whittle that that component of the project down through various legal excuses 2%. to like very little, right? Um, so that doesn't sound like much of a qualitative no, shift to me. What, but what they describe is not public-private partnerships. Okay. What they describe is literal con public construction of housing. Okay. Public sector construction. Okay. So on the one hand... Uh, public planning uh, changes zoning laws that in America often have these kind of racialized slash uh, segregatory class component of it. Like this is uh, only for these entire, like the suburbia areas yeah. are for rich people to have big houses. Yeah. Um, and nothing that would be cheaper than X allowed and basically even no rental sector allowed and certainly uh -huh. no public housing in those areas. And all, it's usually also connected to transit, like no bus lines right? because those people don't need buses. They don't yeah, have yeah. cars. Yeah. So we don't need to build, to put bus lines or yeah. transit there. But of yeah. course you don't do that. You also don't allow uh, development that caters to people who need public transportation to right. move. That is, it's kind of, it's a typical market logic of mm -hmm. uh, segregation. So changing zoning laws, to basically eliminate or dissolve away these uh, segregated areas, which basically is also in the interests of real estate developers who would be able to, like if, if they, they, they have their path facilitated towards uh, developing in these areas. Yeah, so it's like a tactical alliance for a certain kind of deregulation or change in zoning. Yes, exactly, and which is also raises the political issue of when we talk about regulation versus deregulation, it, that is an incredibly overly abstra overly abstract uh, yeah. way of looking at it. Like neoliberalism yeah. doesn't deregulate; it changes the regulation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It gives more freedom to some people and takes away freedom from others. Yeah, this is pretty obvious in 
Britain and the U.S., where like reactionary governments in states in in Britain are passing all kinds of regulations. Constantly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, I, it's it's a typical discussion by the neoliberal deregulator, yeah, uh, politicians themselves and ideologues that law. There's too much laws. They're so so big and so but. All of those gigantic uh, tomes of legislation and regulation are actually done during the period of deregulation. The amount of pages of legislation has increased dramatically in the neoliberal period. The legislation used to be far smaller <laughs> in yeah. the regulative economy period. Anyway, um, the um, yeah, so you you kind of start. You, you see that how that alliance sort of makes some sense? Yeah. And I, to me, that, that fits my perception of Yimbyism as having some progressive content that what's going in the backyard could be public housing. Yeah. It still always, to me, seemed like constrained but it's never to... Be, uh, but that's never been yeah. the concrete reality within no. which that discussion... No, it's taken place, and the debate about public housing is a different debate. Yeah, um, the specific question of zoning, I guess, is something that I'm not that familiar with. Right. Yeah, I, th I think that's exactly the point. Uh, what happens in the backyard could be a rental flat, private sector flat block, mm -hmm. or it can be an apart uh, public housing apartment. Yeah, well, for working class people. Um, but the struggle for public housing theory, is usually not like happening around changing the zoning in some neighborhood. It in also my, does. In my experience. It also does because municipal, if I understand, reading from this, yeah. municipal regulations on zoning in the US also condition where the public sector can build what. Mm. I mean, this depends on the regulatory legal framework of uh, urban uh, territorial planning, wherever country or region you are. Or right. but the, the key point seems obvious. Um, however, I'm still not really convinced because yeah. we are not looking at a, a, a public policy of, of uh, public housing production. Like, that's not the reality of the city. The, the, uh, the economic forces that are at stake are dominated by the market sector. Yeah. And the measure in which the public sector intervenes is exactly as you mentioned, public-private partnership-y things, um, where the public component of the public-private partnership is basically requiring developers to build a fraction of more affordable homes. And, and in, in return, you can even like have some like tax, tax breaks or whatever at best, which is or you can probably build, Or you terrible. can build at higher density. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the, like, it seems obvious to me. I, 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 I mean, again, I don't know enough, but how, how do you see, see like in California, a public housing construction plan happening? I can't imagine it. In California. <laughs> in California. I can't, I can't picture it. I mean, uh, we, we, we are ignorant we know little on this. About so it. anyone who knows more, please make a contribution. We would love to uh, know if there's like public housing policies going on in California. Yeah. In the UK, this argument 
on when I, when you see versions of this argument, it always seems like total bullshit to me because I know what's going on in the UK. Like I, I see, I, I've seen two different types of arguments for the EMB position. It, these these two types of arguments also I've also seen them in the UK for the EMB position. The right wing attack on fighting for public uh, for public housing for maintaining, for not demolishing existing public housing, on the one hand. And on the other hand, uh, I've seen also this kind of left Yimby rhetoric on needing more market rate housing in yeah. like London or whatever. Yeah. And that seems insane. Like there's no market rate housing in London that will be accessible to anyone who isn't upper middle class and above. That's not a real thing. I mean, that, that's their, I mean, this is their point. Their that point is with because there's supply, not enough. Yeah, because it's not so enough. So we need to uh, allow the private developers to build more. Yeah. So that, uh, but the private developers are already building literally everything that they want to build. Yeah. In the in, in London, like it, the obvious reality of the past 10, 15 years is that private developers have been eliminating any and all regulations that would stop them from building in every context that they want to build in. If there is regulation that prevents a private developer from building somewhere in the greater London area, it's because there hasn't been yet a private developer that has wanted to build there because if there was, they would have called council and said, please remove that regulation tomorrow, if you please. And, they, and, they, and, they, and that would have happened. Right. It's because it's not profitable. That's why it hasn't been built. Basically. Yes. Yeah. And this is the key left critique of the EMB position, even when yeah. it appears with a left angle. And and there is kind of a debate even in America on the, like uh, there's a left critique of this left EMB position. Right. Uh, which is essentially that, and I, and I think it's a correct take. There is no framework where the market sector will build housing to the point that it will lower their profit rate. Right. So, and blocking private development development will not achieve that result. They will simply not build. You, yeah. re, you remove those regulations and they will just not build. It's kind of an, an analog for the supply side economics theory that if you just give tax breaks to corporations, they'll employ more people. Yes. Right, but in housing form. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Turns out they don't. Yes. <laughs> and often the, the feeling I get is that this attempt to produce an alliance between downwardly mobile middle classes on a rental sector that is incredibly expensive mm -hmm. and that they want to lower the prices via allowing more market rate production, this attempt to produce an alliance between them and working class in counting public housing is attempting to build that alliance under the terms of the downwardly mobile. So it's, it's not about right. the downwardly mobile middle class allying with the working class. It's about them trying to convince the working class to support them, right? to not oppose the private development. And the problem is that there is a, a real material contradiction between the interests of a downwardly mobile middle class that are like the, 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 the sons and daughters or grandsons and granddaughters of the boomers who own the rich people houses in the suburbs, right? Mm -hmm. They are in a, a, polit a, a political struggle with their own parents and grandparents, that's the yimby nimby struggle. That's the yimby nimby struggle. Right. In, cl um, in classical terms. Exactly. Like uh, the yimby nimby struggle as 
the liberal right versus the liberal left yeah. <laughs> struggle yeah. in macro po political terms. Conservatives versus liberals. Conservatives versus liberals is the struggle of the top 10% of the of income earners, which are the conservative base, versus the 10% below that, like right. the 20%, top 20. Right. Uh, and this is the struggle that is happening as neoliberalism, which used to serve the interests of the top 20, now only serves the interests of the top 10, and the bottom 10 of the top 20 are across them. Yeah, and that's the liberal versus conservative, and that seems to me the, to be the class basis of the IMBI versus NIMBY position. Now, if the top, the twenty to ten percent strata was constructing a productive alliance with the bottom eighty percent, I'm all for it. I don't have any problem with allying with the 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 top eighty percent to ninety percent sector if they will su support me. But what it seems to me is that what is at stake here is to get working class people to mobilize, to unblock, to, 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 to support something that will not, at, at best will not help them because they will never have access to whatever slightly lowered prices might happen due to uh, more market supply of housing. They need the public investment, number one. But they will never have access to that. At best it won't help them, but I do think that there is a material contradiction between the interests of these two groups. The lower, the downwardly mobile middle-class person to get the cheaper rent that they can, can afford, they need to move progressively further out of the city, Pro progressively further away from the, where property prices are more, more. Right. I mean, yeah. this depends, like when we're talking in America, it's the expensive suburbia that they can't afford. In London, it's the expensive center, right? Yeah, let's assume a, a London model. Yeah. Or even I think this has shifted. We're going to talk about this later, right? The shift in investment to city centers. Right. Where now poor people are being forced out of the city center into now underserved suburban areas. Right. These are dialectical twists Dialect, in America. Dialectical twist. Let's sort of assume, because we're, we're in London. Right. Let's assume that the center is more affluent. Right. And so what you have is you have a kind of a... An, an, kind of oil pool, like yeah. sludging its way outwards from the center there's, of there's like progressively a, more expensive apartment buildings. Yeah, there's like a wave of rising rents. Yes. And depending on your affluence, you're on one, what part of that wave. Exactly. Slowly being pushed. Outwards. Outwards. Yes. But as you're surfing that wave at the low end, let's say, the high end of the wave is following you. Yes. So you're part of the process, yes. even if it doesn't necessarily directly benefit you it's still necessary the process for in you general in some sense. does not benefit you at a structural level yeah but at an immediate level your material interests are more supply in whatever area you can afford now yeah you know you're going to be pushed out of your area so you need the wave to move into a new area exactly to give you access to those so and that wave of moving into a new area puts you in direct contradictory material interests yeah. with the working class people who live in that area were going to be kicked out. Right. right. Essentially, this, we're talking about a kind of a first wave of gentrification yeah. of young people with not that much income, but enough to survive in the private sector. Yeah. At the lowest, at its lowest uh, level. Mm -hmm. They are at war, in a class war, with the people ahead, with the people who are closer to the center than them, but they're also in a war with the people that are in the communities that they are, in fact, the first wave of colonization of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they don't fit in either camp and they're in. They're, yeah. they're stuck in the middle. It has a strong aura of, like, 
the pilgrims in the Mayflower trying to convince the American Indians that they should ally with them against the King of England. Mm. That's, that's essentially the same <laughs> thing. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, the uh, American Indians have no uh, material interests that coincided with the American, the US American, like British, Dutch, French colonizers of North America against their respective monarchies. Even though those people were usually outcasts from their own societies. Right. Right? Yeah. So you, you, you have a three-way war here and it doesn't seem to me that you can easily construct an alliance, that the alliance that is here being proposed. Right, right. At least not under these terms. Yeah. The way in which you construct that alliance is downwardly mobile middle-class people want pushing towards public housing production and wanting public housing production to be enough of it that they themselves can move into social housing. Yeah. They need to want to get into social housing. I mean, I would love to get into social housing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm in the bottom 20% of, of income earning. And so I, like, I, I count as poor, <laughs> but I also count as middle-class background. And, but and you can see people in our circumstances, right? So why do you think is it that such people in like the early waves of gentrification don't make that alliance? To me, it comes down to the larger material interests of these people like what sectors are they employed in right if they're they're often students cultural workers of various kinds right and they have an interest in the kind of economy that thrives in a gentrification process right so they actually they also want to work in that area somehow or they're somehow invested in the process of gentrification apart at, the professional from, level. at a professional level and not just as a question of rent right um, and that's partly their social life and their working life. Right. So it's a kind of a mixture of ideological, that partly that they still identify as middle-class people. Right. Um, and they're trying to reproduce their middle-class lifestyle in a working-class area. Mm-hmm. And partly their own form of work, which is in, which is, which functions within a rising real estate market. Right. So they're like opening galleries, they're artists, they're, uh, you know, they work in cafes or they're starting cafes or whatever, this kind of thing. Right. Or they need a warehouse in, right. a, in a formerly industrial area or a poor area to be like redeveloped as a workspace for them in their, you know, web design right. lab or some right, shit. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. And they work, I mean, they don't necessarily work in the cultural fields, but when they don't work in the cultural fields, they probably work in a field of activity that is at least annexed to financial to financial sector. Right, exactly. Yeah. Marketing, Marketing. management, yeah. Uh, lawyers. Yeah. And all that's integrated with the cultural field in various ways. Right. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. There's a, so what you're essentially saying is that there is a contradiction within these strata between their material interests as renters yeah. and their material interests as professionals. And right, so exactly. their path to lowering their rent is in direct contradiction to their path to increasing their salary. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they're trying to basically make sense of the two at the same time and it's not possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, it's both not possible and it, and it is possible, but it's only possible in a transient moment. It's, in a trans- kind of by surfing that way, exactly. So you have to move every few years yes. to find that, or yeah. you have to kind of yeah. constantly yeah. be. And then in a gentrified area, 
becomes the the level of investment. Yeah, and rises. hopefully you're the first you're you're the first um, wave of gentrification in the area, which gives you some kind of spe specific cool factor that is even like integrated into your professional activity, which allows you to increase your salary so that you can then become become the second and the third wave of gentrification in your same area as your prices, the prices are going up. Yeah, you, you can don't be a part to, of that. You don't have to keep moving to the next first wave. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right? You are promoted yeah. to second wave by staying in the area you were a first wave in. You got in on the ground floor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, or you, you don't and you just need to move on to the next thing. Yeah. As it gets too expensive in your area. Yeah. But you need that next thing to exist somewhere. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. And then there's like this kind of stuff that appears that you really do feel that is precisely the stuff that these people do for a living. For example, let me show you this one. Again, this is like shit that appears on Twitter. There's a, there's a, 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 a part of the discourse on the uh, like housing Twitter, housing market Twitter, I guess, mm -hmm. of like you visionary entrepreneurship, which is promoting market-led solutions to the housing crisis. And every single one of them is basically how to make uh, incredible spatial deprivation cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to show this to you and the, 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 the listeners are not going to see it and we'll describe it. Okay, so, so describe it. Yeah, so it's a room with like a 3D animation of a system being built into it. There's screws and slats. The text says bedroom design for 10 children. So we've got this like stepped platform thing on two levels with shelving, cupboard. Everything is fairly Oh slick. my God, it's just multiplied. So it's literally 10, it's like a 10 bunk bed system just crammed into a single room. There's some god-awful music, which we've got muted right now, thank God. They got books, the children, look. There's books, there's a, there's, there's a stairs on the, oh my God. Fan, ugh. You need the fans because it's 10 children breathing in that space. They're going to die out of, out of, out of oxygen is going to run. Now out. there's a, a hideous robot child just walked up, got decapitated by a fan, exactly. and walked through the that wall. Is my favorite, <laughs> that's my favorite detail. <laughs> Yeah, this is a this is a true nightmare scene. This is some like Auschwitz level shit presented as a solution to the housing crisis. Yeah, I mean the reference that I can think of for describing this is like Squid Game. This is like a Squid Game room. Now there's ten desks on the wall. They're actually only six. They have to take turns. There's some kind of there's like bars on the ceiling. This is for exercise. It's like a gymnasium too. What a nightmare. This is user free market swag urbanist 2003. <laughs> <laughs> this is a joke by whoever reposted this, but I think. Yeah, this must be a joke. Well, the repost is a joke. The original thing's not a joke. No. The original thing is a... Is an actual... Yeah, it's a proposal for a 10-child dormitory yes in a one person bedroom basically yes. for a two person bedroom yeah my take is that the the solution to the housing crisis may very well involve stuff like this but okay. the people who will be in there is the people who are now proposing stuff like this and also it's going to be in siberia <laughs> yeah 
And I can totally see the person designing this shit being a first wave of gentrification entrepreneur mm. uh, person. Concocting this on their laptop in some right. like sort of loft like right. Uh, right. spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the solution to the housing crisis is market-led solution to the housing crisis is literally just massively shrinking the amount of uh, domestic uh, space per capita. Yeah, extreme austerity. And you you see, uh, I, I, there's there's been some others that I couldn't find now, but like proposals for um, deregulating, and here it's actually like re removing regulations, mandating minimal areas for yeah. for X divisions, X rooms in a right. house, blah 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 blah. Windows restrictions windows, on windows for bedrooms because that's kind of exactly yeah. because that's removing the capacity of the market to be able to deal with current uh, land prices, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was deregulations on this kind of re... Um, what's the phrase? Repurposing? Refunctioning? Right. Yeah. Refitting, refitting, whatever. Uh, the, in the 70s gave rise to that whole boom in like industrial loft space. Yeah. And the uh, yeah. and like the origins of the kind of gentrification yeah. dynamics yeah. that we're also familiar with. So they're trying to up it another level, basically. They're trying to up it another level all the way forward into the Victorian era. Right. This, this literally is some Victorian, an yeah, insane 19th century industrial slum. slum shit. Yeah, yeah. Terrifying. And this is intrinsically connected to the right-wing EMB discourse yeah. in London. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another version... Of the of a kind of a right wing uh, EMB argument is that uh, well actually it's good for the environment. Mm. Uh, I mean, this is an increasingly just like radically reducing the consumer power of working people. It, that's basically the point. Um, because I mean, there's two pre existing conditions. Number one. Um, Sustainable urban planning requires density. Density is a component. Density itself isn't good. It can be terrible. In, ab in abstract in terms. In abstract terms. Yeah. But sustainable urban planning requires, it's an in in inherent component of it is density. Increasing density reduces infrastructure right. uh, needs, right? Uh, and it's entirely possible, as was invented by modernism, interestingly, to increase density and maintain quality of public space. Right. Um, it's an interesting kind of twist where postmodern planning has gone back to modernist principles. Um, and, and that's good. Like, and it's a kind of, kind of understanding of that. This together, so that's green, right? Green is density, or density is green, or inherently green. Number two is um, demolishing is not green. Right. Demolishing and redeveloping is bad. It's yep. a waste of resources. Refitting is way cheaper in environmental terms. Right. Uh, and what you have now is a kind of a well actually argument that demolishing and redeveloping, if you increase density sufficiently, is actually better than refitting for the environment. Okay. So you just need to hit a certain level of density to overcome the disadvantage of demol uh, demolition? Yes. Together with previous buildings being uh, obviously to built at a lower yeah. standard of energy uh, yeah, 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 yeah. consumption yeah. and uh, maintenance. Um, so 
the problem there, the only the only problem there, and you regularly see like studies making this case, although they're always based in California, <laughs> and then they're applied in London, and in California is always like low-density urban sprawl, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're applied in London, and the one thing they're trying to argue for is to demolish and redevelop with higher density, but the thing they're demolishing happens to be the public housing estate, which is by far the densest bit of urban area in the entire fucking in the entire in fucking the whole region country, basically. in the yeah. whole country <laughs> yeah. like yeah, yeah. they're not talking about demolishing the uh, victorian row housing right there which is low density yeah. they're talking about demolishing the public Ellsbury. housing yeah. yeah yeah it's it's completely preposterous but it keeps coming up and it's again an entirely technocratic argument completely divorced from concrete discussion and an output of projection of American uh, arguments onto a non-American mm -hmm. territory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's this really funny example of uh, like a guy called uh, like at David UW92, which is a really great uh, individual systematically trashing neoliberal urban policies in Lucian. He's like a local person. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if you're in Lewisham, in the Lewisham area and you care about Lewisham uh, development logic, so you should follow this person. Anyway, um, yeah, they uh, post something about the uh, demolition of the neighborhood I think they grew in, the uh, council estate. Okay. Uh, and you have a wave of Yimbi greenwash people hmm. making the point that it should be demolished and redevelopment is actually great for the environment, right? Right. Uh, and it's really funny. It was like one of the people uh, take a picture of the place and I mean, at least David UW says they literally zoomed in on the picture to only show the lower... The uh, lowest building? The lowest building <laughs> in the estate. <laughs> Cutting out the towers around it. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. So they're like, just fra they're framing council housing as less dense than it is. Exactly, they're framing council housing as it's okay to demolish it because it's not dense. It's literally the most dense fucking thing in the entire area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what you're trying to demolish, arguing for density. It's preposterous. Yeah, uh, all facts point to the opposite. Urban infill, aka demolishing and increasing density, is the single most carbon emission reducing activity that can be done to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Studies on these are peer-reviewed and valid. Follow study based in California. <laughs> Suggesting otherwise is rudimentary. Read the studies on carbon footprint planning. The retro retrofit brigade totally ignore consumer usage. Embarrassing, really. None of this responds to the fact that you're trying to demolish the densest piece of urban territory in the area. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's obviously complete bullshit. Um, and the, this greenwashy argument that obviously, like the the green argument has been growing in popularity to fight demolition of uh, of uh, public housing, both because it's true and also because it's tactical. It's a good way of yeah, getting yeah. middle class yeah, liberals, yeah, it appeals to middle class, yeah, uh, that don't connect to the lived experience of working class, but they are connected in abstract terms to the climate issue. It's a yeah. way of getting them right into the right. struggle, at least supporting and having solidarity with it. Yeah. Right? Um, and now you have this kind of obvious twist, which was obviously to be expected given the way in which greenwashy arguments have been 
exploding both in corporate architecture and in the corporate in the construction sector itself the corporate right? pr world in general yeah 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 the la the latest paradigmatic example of that was something that we we really should talk about about a bit which was the uh the last sterling prize mm. the, the, the architecture prize of the royal institute of british architects right named after of course james sterling yeah so there was a kind of a debate around this a few months ago the shortlist for the prize was announced six projects not were nominated and uh, the ultimate victor was announced like two weeks ago okay and there was a big thing a big debate about this when the shortlist came out because it's including several projects that were just fucking terrible and they were greenwashing extreme anti-sustainable terribleness and they were gentrification projects that were the outcome of at least one of them the uh oh is that haygate often yes haygate the thing that was built in hay, the hay, in the land formerly occupied by the haygate estate which was a high density estate yeah that was probably i don't know this but it would be one <laughs> of the i don't know very densest places in the yes. entire country yes so the thing they built where the Haygate estate used to be was promoted as a socially minded uh, sustainability project. Uh -huh. <laughs> Even though it demolished the high density, massive number of flats and destroyed a working class area, aggressively gentrifying it and doing basically social cleansing and intra-urban colonization. It's, right. These was shortlisted as one of the six best examples of architecture by Reba this past I, year. I also read somewhere that the Haygate, like the new development in the Haygate area around El, uh, Elephant and Castle, um, actually made the news for selling flats entirely to foreign investors. There you go. So It's not even for a rich people to live in. It's for... in obscenely insanely rich people that the word rich doesn't even kind of represent that reality to invest to to hold as assets as abstract financial assets yeah i don't think it's it's not necessarily the super rich but it's it's affluent people around the world with but they're not living there no they're not they're not living right. there maybe they're they're buying very expensive flats maybe the, in someone London. in their family will live there i mean maybe they'll have point, like whatever. their incredibly wealthy uh but grand, it's, it's appealing. grandson will come and study architecture in london it's appealing it's it's not functioning as a response to the local housing crisis no it's responding to the global financial crisis yes and the need for maintaining for real estate speculation yes so uh, a very good response to this was made by the Architects Climate Action Network in the UK, mm -hmm. uh, which completely trashed Reba. And this was like this was just before the uh, Reba elections. Ah. So this was actually really good propaganda for Muyua. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I, I actually think this this may have made a difference in Muyuaoki being uh, winning the election. Excellent for Reba president. So uh, it, it's really good. Like the um, Architects Climate Action Network, uh, I mean, correctly says this is like the Elephant Park Regeneration Scheme, uh, which includes the project that is nominated as one of the best six pieces of architecture built in the UK in the past year. So the demolition of the Haygate Estate and forcible displacement of council tenants, 1,194 social housing units were replaced by 2,700 homes. So 
it did increase density, <laughs> uh, we, of which only 92 units remain socially rented. 20% mm. of council tenants remained in the postcode. The, so the overwhelming majority, 80%, was, were relocated to the outskirts of London. So community yeah. completely... Social cleansing. Yeah. The developer lend lease was able to weasel their way out of providing more social housing, exactly what you were describing earlier, yeah. on the basis that the profit margin of less than 25% <laughs> would be detrimental to their business case. And the public sector, instead of saying, well, if you can't make a profit with, without destroying people's lives and the environment, then you're not going to make any profit. Then you're in the wrong business. Yeah, then like fucking yeah. figure yourself out or go broke. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like literally. Then you're evil and yeah, you literally must be the, stopped. <laughs> Mega capitalists can now literally argue that let that, that they need to be allowed to hurt the public, uh, hurt the public, yeah. because otherwise they can't make enough profit. That's an argument. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Southwark Council, of course, accepted the conditions, uh, and they say a necessary demolition furthers. Fuel, further fuels climate breakdown, the replacement of social housing with high-end homes is an act of social cleansing which exacerbates growing inequality facing our societies. And another project that was also one of the top six mm. was uh, 100 Liverpool Street. So basically, uh, like kind of on top of... Um, Financial centre. Yeah. Uh, the, which uh, the Architects uh, Climate Action Network uh, categorizes as an exercise in greenwashing. Hmm. Demolishing the 1980s pink granite office block paved the way for the erection of an entirely glazed office block. This is like one of the most obvious. Like, there is no such thing as a glass office tower that is sustainable. <laughs> that is not a, a real thing. <laughs> In general terms, it doesn't even need to be like a glass tower. In general terms, any building in the northern hemisphere, which facade facing north is identical to the facade facing south, is not sustainable. <laughs> and if it's a glass facade all around, it certainly is not. The most modernist plant is the sunflower. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Its claim to net zero is founded on the reuse of a portion of the building's original concrete and steel and on the purchase of carbon offsets abroad. Oh, yeah, classic. Which is like the classic, like yeah. amazing, perfect. Yeah. We gave money to poor people in the global south not to develop. Therefore, we are heroes of the environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so these are the two, two of the six best buildings. This is pure corporate architecture, aggressively right. the most right-wing kind of urban development you can even imagine. Top six. On the basis of greenwashing arguments that are directly counterfactual. Yeah. And both of them based on demolition and one of them based on demolition of council housing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was great. Uh, none of them, predictably, none of these two projects. One, uh, kind of some university library one, I don't care. Uh, fine. I, I don't care. <laughs> I'm sure it's a charming library. Yeah, it's, it's got some like nice wooden things and it's in the middle of a lot of trees. So uh, that's it's easy to be an okay building in that. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like an okay building, but I mean. Looks churchy. It looks, I mean, it's postmodern. Right? Yeah. It has a kind of a postmodern thing going on in 
It's a Nordic postmodernism. It's Rossi meets Alto somehow. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. <laughs> it looks like a sort of fortress, churchy, churchy Nordic fortress. Churchy Nordic with medieval, Italian medieval uh, castle. Pl- it's Romanesque, Nordic Romanesque. Nordic Romanesque. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Brick outside, wood inside. Um, Castley, churchy. Whatever. I don't yeah. care. Oh, the it's absolutely a basilica section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. It functions within the contemporary kind of neo-feudal... Yeah, uh, imaginary. Ima- yeah. For sure. Neo-feudal, neo-medieval Rossianism. Yeah. It's got that feudal social communitarian vibe right. thrown in there. It's right. like, it looks like a... I mean, it looks kind of like a monastery or an mm-hmm. abbey or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations. Well, it's definitely better than the two <laughs> other ones. Yeah, this kind of ideological compromise is, is not as bad as the material compromise of thousands of people's lives. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this is what's going on in corporate architecture right now. Yeah. I'm, I, thanks, for, thanks for bringing this shift in the meaning of Yimby and Nimby to my attention. <laughs> I mean, when when I first heard about this, my first thought is, people in council homes don't have backyards. Yeah, like who the fuck has a backyard? Yeah. <laughs> How dare you say that someone's nimby who doesn't have a backyard <laughs> at all? <laughs> like you see, the, the American Indians, the American Indians have an entire. They're the most privileged people in North America. They oh, have yeah, an entire yeah. gigantic backyard called the reservation, all for them. Oh my god. <laughs> Terrible. But not surprising. I want to see that I could. That there must be that. that they someone have must have called the Palestinians NIMBYs. Mm. That must exist somewhere. Oh, for sure that would exist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, that's that. Yeah. Please correct everything we <laughs> got wrong about the U.S. American California situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're interested in learning. Well, we're not that interested. No, we, are, we, we are we are interested in appearing interested <laughs> yeah. for like liability academic <laughs> slash uh, intellectual pseudo honesty liability yeah and to, and to ingratiate ourselves <laughs> with our american listeners <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you really want to help us out uh go to our patreon page <laughs> patreon. if you really want to help us out don't send us uh, the truth about just send california us money. <laughs> just send us money <laughs> Patreon.com slash Street Sweeper Pod. Mm, I think we need to drop the sleazy now. We've we've already made sufficient self reference. I mean you don't have, you just you, you don't have to note it every time. You can just let me do it in passing. The, my point is that I've already noted it so many times that now you need to stop doing it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Patreon.com slash street sweeper pod. Very good. Support us there. Send us comments, send us questions. Uh, that was the second. Hopefully now, from now on, the dynamic is the momentum's on. We get a question every episode. Yeah, I mean, we'll address <laughs> a question every episode if we've got one. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's a ma- massive question that's very complicated to answer, like what the fuck is the welfare state and why should we And how should we it, think about it, yeah. Uh, then you can get a whole ass episode just for yourself. You In never know. six months. In six months from now. <laughs> All right. All right. See you next time. Next time. Bye.